You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. So we are in week two of our Christmas series, A Light Has Dawned. And during um, this particular season, we are looking at the book of Isaiah. And uh, Isaiah is a prophet. He's a spokesman to God who hears directly from God and shares with the people what God is saying. And so Isaiah is quoted quite a bit uh, throughout um, the scriptures and everything. And a lot of his prophecies were filled and shared in the New Testament. And so what we wanted to be able to do was to be able to look at this book that was written, well, actually it was written about 700 years before Jesus came into this earth and to see how these things were fulfilled as Jesus Christ comes into the world to take away all of our sins. And so we've been, we are going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, especially for Christmas, and focusing on these words right here. The people walking in darkness, and this is for a long time now, have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness a light has dawned. So 700 years before Jesus would come from this prophecy, that is a long time to wait for the best Christmas present in the world. I mean, that's like forever. I'm really bad when it comes to Christmas presents. Um, I knew that there were some presents that came from Santa, but I also knew that there were some presents that came from mom and dad. And I was really excited during this time. And I even remember... um, thinking, like, maybe I'm going to get a computer when, like, it was really cool to get a computer back in the day, which I don't know why I was thinking that. Like, they're super expensive, right? And so what I would do was I'd go upstairs in my mom and dad's closet, and I would, like, peek through all the presents because I knew that they did the Black Friday shopping. And I remember this one particular time where my mom caught me, and they finally knew. So, like, man, I'm really bad at that kind of stuff. So talk about 700 years. Like, that's impossible. How is that really going to happen? And then what even happens after that is there's a bunch of prophets that come and share with the people of what the kingdom of God is going to look like and how the Savior is going to come into the world and how he's going to fulfill everything. And then there was a point where Malachi, who was the last prophet, after that there was 400 years, like it was mentioned in the video, where the people of God did not even hear anything. They didn't hear the voice of God. They, they, they were there, just like what's saying in Isaiah, that they were living in a land of deep darkness. But finally, a light has dawned. So during this season, um, the Christian church has often referred this Christmas season as Advent. It's actually the very beginning of the church calendar, okay? And Advent simply means arrival. We are anticipating the arrival of Jesus, So we get a chance to look at all the things that are being said and how these things are going to be fulfilled as we work our way to Christmas, as we get ready and are extremely excited for things to come. I'm excited for Christmas. I'm excited to be able to see family and friends. We have a lot of cool Christmas traditions. I get to fly home Christmas Day and, and be able to be in the cold north of Chicago, you know, sipping on hot chocolate and stuff like that. I'm excited for these things. And so even as a church, we are in Advent. We are awaiting 
for Jesus Christ to come in the world, the God who came to take away the sins of the world. And so for today, we're going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 11. You can pull that on your Bibles. You can pull that on your smartphones. Um, We also have um, our notes listed on the Bible app. So if you want to be able to follow along with us there, uh, we have some of the references that are being used and stuff that you can take home with you. And uh, you can be able to look at that. But there's this particular sequence that's happening in this particular poetic passage from Isaiah. First of all, we see what God is going to do, how he's going to do it, and how he's going to do it. And also, it it gives us an opportunity to be able to respond to the words of what the prophet is saying and how we, as a church, can live out our faith. So that's the kind of sequence that's going on. Now, oftentimes, when you pick up books like this, I'm just going to say it's really kind of confusing. It's it's very difficult at times, okay? And so when I was um, taking some biblical classes, some theological classes at my college, um, I had a professor, and he was really brilliant. He said, the best way to really understand and discern what a prophet is saying, it's like as if you are looking into a mountain range, okay? And so we have the Mount Everest right here, and, you know, we know that it's like that's the biggest mountain, and we're always focused on that. We always hear stories about people climbing Mount Everest, making that hike, making that journey, but oftentimes we forget about the ridges and the other peaks that surround the mountain because they also make up the mountain as well. So when we're looking at this, we're looking at the main idea, the mountain, but we also have to understand the story behind it, that there's other peaks and there's other ridges and there's other direction what the prophet is pointing us to. So it's really important when you're reading through this to know that's kind of how prophets function. Now, they didn't the prophets would hear directly from God, okay? And, and I'm pretty sure that they were terrified at the same time because, like, to be in the presence of God, um, Isaiah describes it as something that he was frightened, that he was scared and everything. And so they have an idea of what it's going to look like, but still to them it's very obscured. Even though he was very explicit in detail of how these prophecies would be fulfilled, it was very difficult and hard for him to be able to grasp these things. So we just keep that in mind as we are going through this passage today as you open up your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 11. And before we actually start reading that, it's also very important to know what's going on and what's the background, okay? I mentioned before that Isaiah was living in fear when this was all happening. Um, He was very scared, and we're going to have some Bible passages to share with you of what that what that was like for him and what that meant for him during the time. But in Isaiah chapter 10, uh, we hear about um, the remnants of Israel. And we, we know that God's people became very sinful. And they, they didn't make the best decisions, and they angered God. And there's a point where he, um, Isaiah was revealed by God that he is going to wipe away everything, that there's going to be nothing left. And that's kind of really hard to articulate and understand that why would a God do something like that? But that's what he says. That's what it says in the scripture. There's even a point at the end of chapter 10 that says, he will cut down the forest thicket with an ax. Everything that's there will be gone. But don't worry, there is hope as we move into Isaiah chapter 11. So if you start there with me, that would be great. Hear these words. A shoot 
will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Now, it's very important. Again, I want you to remember, go back to the mountain scene, all right, and realize that there's one large thing that's being prophesied, and that's Jesus and what he's going to do. And there's little peaks, all right, of what, how it's going to happen and what it's going to look like. Now, this particular passage right here in verse 1 is the only passage that directly talks about the Christmas story, about Jesus coming, okay? And so that's really, quite honestly, that's all we have in terms of Christmas is that right there. Because remember, it's about Jesus, but we know that he's going to come into this world. You know, we heard in chapter 10, everything's going to be gone. It's going to be desolate. You know, he's going to chop everything out with an ax. There's only a tree stump there. And finally, we get the prophecy that God is going to send someone who is going to take away the sins of the world. And it says this, that this stump from Jesse is going to shoot up and it's going to bear fruit and everything is going to change. Everything is going to look different. Moving on to verse two. It says the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Okay, now this is really important. All these, these passages right here, again, are pointing back to Jesus. Okay, and, and, and Jesus even fulfills this in Luke um, chapter 4. Um, he says this. He says, um, he, he basically said in, in Luke chapter 4, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. So Jesus is saying from this scripture, I, I fulfilled it. I've done it. Every, everything that you've heard before from the, the Old Testament writers, I'm here today to be able to fulfill these things. I am he, I am the one, I am the one that's going to be able to change everything. I came into this world. So we see this going on throughout scripture and everything. And so moving on to the next verse, this is what it describes of what Jesus is going to do. It says, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding this is how it's going to rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Now, I look at these things, and I'm like, okay, that makes sense. God, God's very wise. We know that God's very understanding. He's a great counselor. He's, he's a great shepherd. He points to us. He loves us. He's very mighty. He does great things. I one of my favorite songs, and it's even written in the book of Psalms, is um, from Hillsong. It says, my God, he can move mountains because he's mighty to save. That's the kind of power that we know that our God has. That's the kind of thing that he can do. We know that he's all knowledgeable. He, he knows all. And, and he also takes fear of the Lord, and he will also delight in the fear of the Lord. But here's the thing. Whenever I read passages in Scripture and I read things that are just kind of hard or maybe a little bit controversial for me, I automatically usually like to skip those things because it would be easier to be able to, well, like, I don't really know what this means. And when I hear to, like, to fear the Lord just like Jesus, because I've always been discipled in a way, and hopefully you will disciple others if you want to be a follower of Christ the best way to do that is to be more and more like Jesus, to observe exactly what he does in the scriptures, and to be able to imitate him just as Jesus would do. That's hard sometimes, I know that, but that's the best way to be able to disciple. And so if I hear this is what, what Jesus is going to be like, I mean, I don't know if I can 
live in the fear of the Lord. I mean, that's kind of hard, you know, and we, we pick topics in churches. We, maybe you've done Bible studies before, and you, you want to you wanna pick topics that are, are relevant towards you, you know, or things that, like, really apply to where you're at and your circumstance. Um, but no one ever does a Bible study on fearing the Lord, or, or have you before. I mean, it's just not common. It's just not what you do. But yet, we can't ignore these things that are going on in Scripture. We just have to be able to do those things. Thank you so much. She knows that uh, I need something, so some sugar in my system. So this is, this is what God does. This is what he's doing. Now, there's a great theologian and a great pastor. Have you guys ever heard of Francis Chan before? Written books like Crazy Love, Forgotten God. He's, re- he's written some pretty incredible pieces. And he even talks about how we've ignored fearing God, okay, and, and what that looks like. And so he says it best. He says, in church, we start going, let's talk about other areas of God. But if we skip the fear of God, we won't understand the other areas. And to my point is if we don't fear God, we're not going to be able to understand and know God even more. It talks about this in Psalms, okay? But if we, and and then I've also talked to like other pastors and other people, and they're usually trying to explain this to other people. And they're like, well, it really means just to, to know God, right? If we fear God, we know him. But yeah, sort of. But like when we look at scripture, it says this directly. Like we need to fear the Lord, okay? Um, Isaiah, like I was saying before, like he was in the presence of God and he was scared. He was in fear. And so if we actually understand how powerful, how mighty, what kind of savior is coming into this world and how we should be able to delight in that fear, then we're going to start to be able to understand him even more. We're going to understand what that is going to look like. Psalms 111 verse 10 says this, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Um, Another scripture says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have a good understanding to him belongs external praise. So I want to be able for you to challenge yourself in this. That we simply just don't skip these things, but we acknowledge what our God is going to do, what it's going to look like, and this is how we're going to be able to respond to it. I may not look as athletic as uh, I once did, but believe me, I used to play football and wrestling. Okay, it was some of my favorite things to do. And um, when winter time would come around, I would wrestle. And uh, let's just say, like, it was a fun sport, but I may have gotten every skin disease possible. It was pretty bad. Um, kind of gross. I hope that they're, like, cleaning up the mats more and more. But, I mean, it's kind of a gross sport. You know, it's kind of really hard to see people, like, grapple and get into it and take each other down. But that's besides the point. It's a really hard sport. Um, but I did it. I did it just because I wanted to become a better football player to help me with my conditioning. So I was on varsity for wrestling my sophomore year, and um, I was um, 215 pounds, all right? I'm not super strong, but, like, you know, I, I, was, I was decent and everything um, in my strength. But we also had another guy on our team that was, like, way better than me who was at the same weight class. But what happened was 
I would be bumped up to the next weight class because we didn't have a heavyweight. Now, heavyweights are about 285 pounds. I just reminded you that I was 215 pounds. You do the math. It's a lot of mass, okay? And so I remember um, this one particular match. I was actually wrestling a guy that was runner-up in state before, and he was a man. He wasn't just a guy that was carrying some extra weight. Like, he was 285 pounds of chisel steel and, you know, sex appeal. Like, he was actually a good-looking guy. I said that in church, okay? Oh, well. Thrive kids are upstairs, so we're good. And, and so I just remember I was having to wrestle this guy because I was the guy that had to be bumped up because our other 215-pounder, he would, he would win the match. And I was basically out there to lose but not get pinned because if you get pinned, there's more points scored against you. So I go out there, and I just remember being scared out of my mind, all right? But what was really scary is when a man like that gets on top of you seems like everything in your lungs, there's just no air at all. And I remember he was, he was trying all these moves, and he was trying to, the goal is to be able to put the other wrestler on their back to pin them, okay? And there's like some crazy moves in wrestling, and I'm pretty sure I was put in the form of a pretzel. I didn't know that my body would turn that way, but it did. Um, and, I, and I remember like at one point when he's pinning me, and he, he eventually did, I couldn't even breathe. Like, I was in complete um, dependence on the referee of the mat to finally blow the whistle and pound his hand on the mat, and so that way he would be able to release. I'm really claustrophobic, okay? But I remember, like, that was probably the most fearful thing that I've ever experienced before, to the point where I knew that I was going to die. Like, I deserved death because, like, this guy had me in a pretzel move. Like, you know, go ahead and start working on my funeral now. The reason why I say this is because in the same way, I I just, like I was saying before, I just don't think we really consider what that's like and what that seems. And again, this is not like an easy topic to talk about. And you're like, wow, Phil, we're supposed to be talking about Christmas, and you're talking to us about how we need to fear the Lord. Well, guess what? I'm not going to ignore the text that's in front of us. I'm going to give you all the bad news right now, and next week John's lucky enough to give you all the good news. He really planned that very well because we do find out that there's hope. We do celebrate this Christmas season because we know that a Savior is going to come into this world, that he is going to be born next to animals, laid in a manger, and he's going to change everything. You know, as soon as I get caught up with all these different Bible verses and everything and and, and talking about fear, we we learn more about that hope. And, And again, John is going to be talking about this more next week. But then I'm, remember, I'm reminded um, from the book of Romans, chapter 8. It says, what then shall we respond to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? So let me explain this sequence that's going on. If we fear God, we are going to understand him even more than ever before. We're going to understand why he does the things that he does and understand his power, his might, his knowledge, And then we truly understand who he is. Then we truly understand what it says in Romans chapter 8. 
if God is for us, who can be against us? Let that just sink in for a moment. If God is for you, what's really going to bring you down? Sam mentioned it. You know, there, some of us have come into this room, and we all have different stories. I mean, let's be honest. We're not just all happy people all the time. Like we're we're wrestling with stuff. There's stuff that's tearing us apart. We don't understand why our families are broken. We don't understand why we're taking on so much stress. We don't understand why um, people are getting sick and dying. We don't understand what is going on in our world. But directly, like, why, why am I experiencing the things that I'm experiencing? Let that sink in. If God is for us, who can be against us? God is coming into this world as a baby, as flesh, to take away the sins of the world, to take away everything, every brokenness that we may have. Why should we worry? We're excited. We're awaiting the arrival of God. We're awaiting for him to come and change everything. There's hope, just like it says in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, and from his roots a branch will bear fruit. Just after everything has been desolated, God restores his people. and says there is hope. There's this little flower that's going to spring up, and that little flower pointing to Jesus is going to change everything. That is where our hope is as we continue to await the arrival of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, you know, we sing songs and we come before you because we acknowledge your goodness. We acknowledge your mercy. We acknowledge who you are. And for such a long time, we've had prophets like Isaiah that have experienced your presence, that have shared to us that there is hope, that there is a little flower that's basically a metaphor that points to you, Jesus, that's going to change everything. So, Father, we realize, just like many people for the last thousands of years, that we are in need of a Savior, that we desperately needed you to come to this earth because there is no way that we were able to do that. And so, so, Lord, when we look at the scripture and we try to articulate what you're trying to tell us, like some of this stuff is really hard. Some of this stuff, it just seems impossible that we should be living in your fear. It's probably because you are a powerful and mighty God. You can do crazy things. And sometimes we forget that about you. So, Father, as we continue to await and celebrate the Christmas holiday, we know that there's hope. We know that you're going to give us strength. Father, let us be able to share that hope and that love to all. In your name we pray, Jesus.
your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So we're going to continue.